the Big Bets on Campus podcast. Let the games begin. Hey-o, hey-o, hey-o. There he is. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the week zero college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. They're here. Are you finally ready to talk games, brother? Before we hit record here on Thursday, the board's been lighting up like a Christmas tree. It's like a dopamine that gets in my veins and like makes me feel like it's Christmas Day, you know, because I'm so excited that we have an active board. We've had lines that have just been sitting stable for three months. It's here. We're gambling. Football's back. There's kids in Ireland. There's kids in El Paso. I couldn't be more excited. I've seen people trashing these weeks here against. I love starting off college football like this with all of these just hilarious matchups, bad teams. It's just a, just a great way to kick off August. I think you might want to get yourself a helmet and a bulletproof vest and an iron jock strap because you're going to get your head shot, your back stabbed, and your nuts danced on. Yeah, as much as people who pretend to be sharp on Twitter want to tell you that the market has settled months ago or throughout the summer, a lot of the big money comes out this week when they're allowed to bet real dollars. So you'll start to see some real moves, which we have today. And I'm sure that there'll be more as we lead up to game day, because look, with all of the transfer portal movement, coaching changes, you're going to be wrong on teams. I'm going to be wrong on teams. Everyone out there is going to be wrong or right on teams. There's going to be a lot of adjustments that there's going to be a lot more adjustments that you make in this day and age than you did, you know, say five years ago. More importantly, we'll go through all seven of the games involving FBS teams. I don't think there's lines out for FCS game because there's a couple of FCS. I think the first official game is Western Kentucky who lost their quarterback to the diggy to the transfer portal. They're taking on Austin P. I think middle Tennessee state's old quarterback is Austin P's quarterback now and Western Kentucky's old running back is there. I don't know, but the lines aren't out for those games anyway. So we won't talk about them, but don't worry. FCS fans. We'll get to you later in the year. Uh, let's so let's, let's dive right into it. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting. Saturday, there's seven games that we're going to talk about involving FBS teams, FBS versus FBS matchups. They start in Dublin. They end in Honolulu. 7,000 miles between those two places. I was looking, if you wanted to travel from Honolulu to Dublin, and I was looking at flights for like tonight. You would leave at 10 o'clock Thursday, and you would get there on Saturday morning. You leave on Thursday night, you get there Saturday morning. So we're spanning 7,000 miles, college football. Let's go. We'll start right with Dublin. We have a Big Ten matchup in Dublin. I don't know why we're – this is like what the NFL does. They send the Jags to London and say, let's grow our product. We're we're, uh, 
we're doing the same, we're taking the same kind of approach here and we're sending the big 10 out to Dublin, <laughs> not the most pleasant watching experience, but Nebraska out to a 13 and a half point favorite appear to be taking some money. We still don't know who the Northwestern starting quarterback is. Mm. Pats, cats. Over under sitting at, you know, 49 and a half, 50. This game will be played 12.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox in Dublin. I believe it's the first international game, not including the Bahamas Bowl. The first, I guess you could say, the first college football game overseas since Stanford destroyed Rice. And they actually ran out of beer in Australia in that game. Because what else are you going to do? Watch Rice down 50 or drink all the beer in the stadium? Because that's what the Aussies did in that game. One of my favorite things is looking back at the history of college football games played internationally. There used to be a lot more. I mean, there was... There was a Coca-Cola classic that was played in Tokyo every year in from 1977 to 1993. There was a Bacardi Bowl that was a bowl game that was played in Havana. And it would be like the University of Havana or like the Cuban Athletic Club playing like an SEC team. Amazing. But I digress. It's time to get to the real games. Nebraska, 13 half point favorites. I'm high on them. I think you're high on them. We still don't know who the Northwestern starting quarterback is. Presumably, we're looking at Ryan Holinsky, who was a quarterback last year, but Pat Fitzgerald, mum is the word, he said. He's not going to announce the starter until kick. What are your thoughts here? I love Nebraska. You love Nebraska. But let's talk about a couple of things off the field before we get on the field. The Irish Times published a hit piece this week on the Nebraska program. It cited the fact that one of their assistants uses homophobic slurs. It cited that Mark Whipple compared a foul to a rape while he was at UMass. This piece that was put out by the Irish Times has has even more than that, completely offensive to the Nebraska program in general. And Frost and Whipple have been in the news saying, well, we appreciate that article. It's got us more focused. Everybody's read it. Uh, We are highly motivated for this game. Uh, I think they're going over there to make a statement if they weren't, you know, already needing a statement after all the changes in the offseason. So I think when you handicap week zero and week one, you have to ask what has changed with these programs since they last played each other. You can throw last year's blowout completely through the window, right? Adrian Martinez had three rushing touchdowns before the end of the first quarter. They tacked on another four rushing touchdowns. That's not going to be this Nebraska team. Uh, They now have a new offensive coordinator and Mark Whipple. He had Pitt finish top 10 and finishing drives. Scott Frost couldn't do that. They never finished within the top 50. Casey Thompson coming in from Texas. The guy is obsessed with being perfect in his reads and his throws cannon for an arm. Frost said this as he got on the plane, we're going to let it rip. Now (laughs) that doesn't sound to me like Whipple is going to be spending time pounding the rock with Ramir Johnson and Marquis step It's not going to happen. Whipple's going to want to go deep. He's got a quarterback that's got the arm that could do it. Now, when you look on the defensive side of the ball, Eric Schnander's heavy blitz, the 3-4, Northwestern's going to be under whoever the quarterback is, right? They're going to be under a lot of pressure. Now, we don't know anything about Brandon Sullivan, three-star quarterback. We don't know if he's going to start. We don't know what he's capable of. But we do know about Ryan Helensky. And the stat that I've got on Ryan Helensky is just like, it's mind-blowing. 590 career passing attempts, seven big-time throws. How is that even possible? He had four completions over 20 yards last year. He had three interceptions over 20 yards last year. Uh, You know, the offense is just going to be, the Northwestern offense is going to be uber dependent on running back Evan Hall. Hull, he's a a thousand yard back. He was the third highest amount of catches last year. 
He averages 3.6 yards after contact and he created 50 missed tackles. But what is the one team he didn't create a missed tackle against last year? Nebraska, believe it or not. So there's not a lot of weapons on the outside. Malik Washington is back for Northwestern, but he's below two yards per route run. He's not explosive. Uh, you know, this Northwestern offense scored 14 points just once in their final seven games. The one team they did score 21 on was against Rutgers. And we're supposed to think that Mike Bahakian is like all of a sudden got this figured out with this offense. It's going in the wrong direction. Whipple is going to take shots at this secondary. I don't think he's going to wait till third down. There were 12s in the market earlier in this week, Stuck. We're up to 13 and a half. I project this 16. I think it's going to end at 14 and a half. And then you'll get the buyback, the traders that want to get both sides of it. But tell me how Northwestern is scoring. They're going to want to keep it slow. They want to keep it bruising, but that's not Mark Whipple's game. I like the over, I don't know, key number of probably 51. You want to get it for there because it's going up as we're talking here on this podcast. But I think the best bet is Nebraska 14 or better. Uh, I think they're going for the jugular here for a lot of reasons. Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. Northwestern's offense is never any good. I mean, they have like a, a rare. We're in like the 19th year of Pat Fitzgerald has been there forever. But last year, what they really took a step back was their defense. And Mike Kanklitz, who's, who was there for 13 years as the defense coordinator, a ton of success left. And last year, the new defense coordinator was Jim O'Neill. And Northwestern's defense fell off a cliff. And that was the biggest you know problem why? with them last year. You know why, right? Why were they so good in 2020 and 2018? Is because they were the number one team in the nation in Havoc. You couldn't get a pass off without it being picked and ran back. That there's none of that now stuck. That that it's all falling off the table. Yeah, and Jim O'Neill had a rough year, and they allowed they had allowed over six yards per play. They haven't allowed over five yards per play since I believe 2011. So defense really fell off, and I don't see it getting much better this year. And the offense we know is just dreadful. There's limited options in the passing attack you got a good one you know be good offensive lineman a decent running back but you got Helinski. you have the unknown at one quarterback or Helinski, who i think will probably start like just throwing the ball at receivers feet like that's the offense so you know northwestern does have these weird bounce back years but I, and historically and they overperform in some spots and they're generally a good dog because they'll shorten the game and They'll just make it make their defense usually makes plays, holds teams in the red zone. But I don't think I don't see it with this defense, and I don't see it with O'Neill. So yeah, I would agree that Nebraska is the side. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I, I think it's corner nothing to start off the year. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's come come back stateside and talk Connecticut football. We're hitting all the exciting offenses. Justin from Reading. Yo, stuck. If I listen to you one more time on anything involving UConn, I'm coming after you. Take it easy. Utah State, I think this line that opened originally was over four touchdowns. It's down to a 26-and-a-half-point favorite, over under a tad to 59-and-a-half. This game will be played at 4 Eastern on FS1. A couple notes here for UConn. By the way, over the past 10 years, if you bet every single team in college football, your lowest return on investment would be betting UConn. They have a 35% against the spread rate over the past decade, the worst team you could have bet. So this year, it's Jim Moore, 
Their defensive coordinator, Spanos, will not be available. We had to take a leave of absence like 10 days ago. So that's I don't know how that's going to impact things. And maybe the best offensive player for Connecticut, which is their star kick returner, is out with an injury. Like that was their whole offense at times last year. So you look at this this UConn team. We don't know the quarter. We don't. We do not know who the quarterback's going to be. They have four listed. Four. Taekwon Robertson, who was at Penn State, former four-star kid, who just kind of flamed out there. Um, you know, you have Kale Millens, on Turner, Fomacon. So, like, they there's four guys listed. I don't know who's going to be the quarterback. Their leading rusher from last year is actually second on the depth chart. Really young team last year, so they did get some experience. They bring back a lot of production. But on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they lost their best player, Travis Jones, a defensive tackle who went to the Ravens. Their second best defensive tackle transfer to TCU. So they're kind of thin in the defensive line. Utah State, meanwhile, had a magical year last year. Really lucky in a lot of metrics and close games, but they were the surprise winner of the Mountain West. They bring they do bring back a quarterback. We're talking about we're, we're talking a lot a lot about a lot of teams on Saturday that have not named a quarterback, quarterback battles. That's not the case with Utah State and Logan Bonner. But Utah State only returns 50% of its overall production, bottom 15 overall. They lost their top three receivers, their two best defenders, you know, a couple of corners. Um, you know, they lost uh, their their edge rushers, safety Shaq Bond, who was really good, a star kicker turner in Scarver, who was one of the best in the history of college football. So they lost a lot, have to replace a lot. Justin Rice as well. And then, you know, Anthony Switzer gets hurt. The transfer was going to really – they were expecting big things from him on defense. So there's a lot that to replace a lot of new pieces on this Utah state team and they have Alabama on deck. So I don't know how that's going to impact things because remember, remember about two months ago, there was all that talk about all the bets coming in on Utah state to win the national title, which I <laughs> don't know where they were coming from, but if Utah state has serious aspirations of winning the national title, they got to beat Alabama next week. So you gotta do you, I, I was trying to figure that out. Like, I think Connecticut will be a little better. I'm trying to – I want to fade this Utah State team. And they have a lot, a lot of new pieces to replace, and especially at receiver. So I wanted to fade them. You know, I'm try, I was trying to think, okay, do I really want to bet UConn on the first day of college football? There's still, I don't even know their quarterback's going to be. They don't have their defensive coordinator. There's still a lot of them, so it's still a really bad team. So I was thinking maybe I bet UConn second half. I could kind of see how they look, and then if Utah State is up, then I'm thinking, okay, Utah State has Bama on deck. Maybe they're not going to show anything. Maybe they're going to rest guys. Like, are they really good? But then, like, all right, they have a lot of new receivers. So they want to work on some things. So I keep going back and forth in that regard. I do think from a line perspective, there's value on UConn. But I'm lower than the market on Utah State. But there's a lot of uncertainty and variance with this UConn team. What do you see here? with UConn football heading west to take on Utah State. Well, my personal revenge game against Utah State is going to come on September 29th when they go on a Thursday night to BYU. So I'll just – I know what I want to do in this game, and I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I probably will, so keep your eyes open on the action app. And I want to go 
under here for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, if I was projecting this game at the end of last year, I would have made it about 48. That's based on seconds per play, finishing drive, success rate. But the problem is we've had so much change in fluidity, both teams that you can't really trust that projection. And Stuck mentioned it. There's four different quarterbacks. We don't, I think we're going to see all four of them. If you look at the scrimmage reports from UConn, the offense has been a complete disappointment. None of the four of them have been able to generate anything during a scrimmage. The offensive line lists just seven players in the two deep. Injuries are a major concern and depth is a concern on this line. Now, there are some outside weapons. You know, Keelan Marin brings back five TDs. He was the team leader in catches. And then when you flip over the defensive side of the ball, you know, the defensive coordinator left, but Spanos also was a part of Mora's uh, staff at UCLA a decade ago. So I think Mora is going to be, you know, he was the DC for the 49ers for multiple seasons. So I think he's the one going to be calling the plays. I'm not sure what the loss is there, but, but those numbers were terrible. Uh, they couldn't get the quarterback. So they were decent against run, like runs up the middle because they had a guy in the middle that the Ravens took in the third round as a stud, and he's no longer there. That was their one kind of strength. They were decent sometimes against the run. But I completely threw that out because they're playing Utah State, right? So Logan Bonner. Yeah, well, they also, they also had an NFL guy that's no longer there, which <laughs> it's going to yeah, even worse. Yeah, so UConn, I'm just like, I, I want nothing to do with this offense, and I don't trust the defense, although I will say – all their secondary comes back for UConn. So at least there's experience. They know how to communicate, I guess. Uh, for Utah State, Logan Bonner comes back at quarterback. He was sixth. They were sixth in passing success rate, top 20 in explosiveness, both standard and passing downs. But the top three wide receivers are gone. Only Justin McGriff is back. He makes up 35 of the 43 returning catches to this team. So, uh, but he's not explosive whatsoever. If you look at him, it just, he wasn't like the other wide receivers. The offensive line loses half their snaps, but like we said, I'm not sure UConn can expose that. I want the under in this game because the more experience on both defenses comes in the secondary. UConn's not capable of throwing the ball at all. They're going to have four quarterbacks trying to run what offensive coordinator Nick Charlton calls a pro-style offense that we ran at Maine. If you dig into Maine's numbers, there's nothing flashy about this at all, but he wants to run a pro-style offense. And that's tough to do when quarterbacks can't grasp, you know, that scheme. So according to the Connecticut insider, uh, Nick Charlton said yesterday, we have to establish the run. We have some really fast backs. I have a little bit of PTSD with, with Blake Anderson, you know, scoring as many points as possible. Although I don't think that's going to happen here and they play Bama the next week. So I want under, I, it's going to come through the app guys. I'm playing it. Too. Let's play it. All right. I'm in. Uh, that'll be my first, not my first play, but like the first time-wise, because that game's at four Eastern. I'm in on it. You make a good enough case. I also think that, as I said before, I do think that Utah State is going to take their foot off the gas with Alabama on deck. And I do think that their passing attack absolutely electric, but Tompkins was unbelievable. And they lose their top three pass catchers. So I think they're going to regress in that department. So yeah, I'll join you on the under. Shall we keep it going with another one? <laughs> so far, we've hit Northwestern in Dublin. <laughs> and then we've came back stateside and talked Connecticut. And now we're going to move on to Wyoming and Illinois. Uh, four Eastern on Big Ten Network, Illinois, an 11 point favorite. Over under has come down from 46 to around 44. This is a, you know, two teams that just from an identity perspective, just if you look last year, they're just like, let's run the ball. The reason this total is so low and it's come down should be running clock throughout. 
new quarterbacks here. You have Tommy DeVito, the presumed starter for Illinois over Art Sikowski, who is horrendous. But I don't, I don't know if they've your boy Lima has officially named DeVito the starter. I, I, assume, I think he is. Like, just assume he's all taking all the QB one reps. So you can assume he's going to start. Andrew Peasley again. I don't think they announced that he's officially the starter, but I would assume that he is. I think Wyoming said they're going to wait till game day. They have another couple other young options, but they lost their top two quarterbacks. Peasley comes in from Utah State. He was a Utah State backup. Can't really throw the ball. Has some legs. He'll fit right in with this Wyoming offense. Wyoming got absolutely gutted, gutted in the transfer portal. I mean, they lost, like I said, their top two quarterbacks. They lost Valaday, their top running back. They lost Isaiah Nair, their top receiver. Mama, their their best defender, is was gone. A couple of corners transferred out. I mean, just across the board, this team was absolutely gutted by the transfer portal. Offense is going to be a struggle. They're just going to run the ball and hope their D can step up. On the other side, Illinois, it's a Bielema offense. They do have a loaded running back room led by Chase Brown. DeVito comes in at quarterback. They have a they have to replace a few starters in the offensive line, which is a strength last year, but they're big. They brought in some transfers. They have a lot of size. It's a, what your typical Belama offensive line looks like. One of the things I think that was most impressive about Illinois last year was Ryan Walters, who I was always a big fan of. He came in and the defense really improved last year. They do lose a safety to the NFL and they return just six starters, but I like the foundation and I, I think they'll be well schooled. The offense is where there are there is some uncertainty because and I don't think that this you never want to get too caught up in coach speak, but the offense was pretty bad last year. The receiving options are limited. Like their best receiver was Isaiah Williams, who was a, who was used to be their quarterback, really athletic kid, converted to wide receiver and did a good job, but they don't have a lot of pass catching options. But Elma fired the offensive coordinator and brought in Barry Lunny from UTSA, who I think put up like 40 on Illinois last year. So Bill was like, oh, we're hiring him. Said to be the new offensive coordinator. And he did a really good job turning around UTSA's offense. He runs an offense, what he, which, which he calls Tempro. So it's like a pro-style offense, which is what Illinois was trying to run last year, which is basically just turn around and hand the ball. But with tempo, and UTSA would show tempo, but, and they want to like – they, we kind of want to spread you out horizontally. So I want some of the receivers are talking about how like they get too tired to do it. I don't know. So like, are they going to actually run tempo? Because that's like what his offense is called and he's done it in the past. So it might not just be like temp because coaches all the time, they say, Hey, we're going to go tempo. We're going to play fast. So are they actually going to try to do that? I don't know. It's a deal with you. I would assume they're just going to hand it off or just turn around and hand it off and play slow, but that's something to consider. I would lean Illinois here. But it's tough for me to lay 11, 12 with this team in a game where the total is like 44. Tough to cover. Margins are very thin. Might end up being a stay away for me. But on the surface, I would think ugly game and lean Illinois. And Illinois wins something like 28 to 13. What are your thoughts here? Story time from Mr. Colin Wilson. I've actually sacked Barry Lunny Jr., uh, the new offensive coordinator for Illinois. He played at Fort Smith Southside. I played at Bentonville High School. He was the quarterback. Uh, wow. His, 
His dad is an Arkansas high school legend. But yeah, my junior year at Bentonville, I did get to sack Mr. Barry Lunny Jr. Uh, he was on the Arkansas staff when yeah, he was with Bielema for years, yeah, right? Yeah, he was on the staff. And when he got fired, he covered against uh, LSU. And I think that was the fall down game at the at the end zone. But uh, you know, so Barry Lunny Jr. goes down to UTSA after, uh, you know, the new regime came into Arkansas. Um, and so eventually Bielema gets the chance to go pluck Barry Lunny Jr. Now he's up there, but it's going to be in the mold of what Bielema wants uh, to run this offense, which is a big bruising uh, between the tackles runs. And when you said big stuck, like last year, Bielema was really not happy with his offensive line production in the 2D because none of them were his guys. Now they've got massive size. Everybody's over 300 pounds. Zy Chrysler, <laughs> he lists at 360. And so I say that because like the Wyoming defensive line, like nobody's above like 285, 290. And Wyoming's not going to be able to put up any resistance in between the tackles, but it's going to be a vanilla game plan. With Indiana coming next week, you're not going to see the typical Bielema trick play, the, the throw to the third tackle on the field. You're not going to see a lot of pulling guards and trap plays. You're not going to have anything on tape. So the question is, is can Wyoming just flat out line up and tackle? And I'm not sure... I think there's going to be tons of highlight yards for the running backs for Illinois here. And, and, you know, Wyoming, I mean, those poor guys, they just farmed out their entire squad to everybody else out in the FBS besides nose and defensive tackle. The defense is a complete reset and their special teams last year was 125th and SP plus. So this is a really bad matchup. So Illinois is going to cover if Brett Bielema wants to cover, but this is going to be vanilla with Indiana on deck. You're not going to see those crazy special teams and, throwing to offensive linemen shit that Bielema does in certain games. He's saving all that for Indiana. So I project this game at 10 and a half. I'm not playing on the side from a total perspective. I think it's come down too far, but you have to ask yourself, like, how is Wyoming going to score? I'd be shocked if they, if they got up to, if they got 14 points in this game. So I should play the over as far as it keeps sinking down. But for me, this is going to be a live play all the way. I'm going to wait. Don't play the over. Don't play yeah. the over. Oh, here we go. Yeah, don't don't play the over. You'll, you'll probably have a good chance to get a better number. You will be kicking yourself midway through the <laughs> second quarter when it's 0-0, which this game has a chance to be like after oh. one. Yeah, ugly game. But I, I agree with you with the vanilla game plan and not showing too much. It makes a ton of sense. Make sure you follow along on the Action Network app to see if we do indeed – play anything live maybe it'll be a classic Colin getting warmed up for San Diego State games you see a, a, a live over 18 and a half come through on on the app for that game the live over 18 and a half I love it I'm really excited about the night games these are my hottest takes and there's some exciting games Charlotte at Florida Atlantic that's we have a, a conference game to Florida Atlantic seven and a half point favorites over under 59 and a half this game, 7 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. This is the game of the day, in my opinion. Look at the total compared to some of the games we talked about. It's up there. There should be some points in this game. Moving as we speak. Uh, I think there was some groups fighting over this early in the week and last week. It was at like 56, up to 59, back to 56, back up. Last year, for what it's worth, Florida Atlantic went into Charlotte and absolutely drilled the 49ers. They won, I think, 38 to 7. Charlotte was actually up at the half and then. Nothing went right in the second half. All kinds of turnovers. I actually love Charlotte here. And it's scary because the Charlotte defense last year was one of the worst in the country. If you look at yards per attempt, they were second worst in the country. Yards per 
completion, you know, 15 yards per completion, second worst in the country. There is nothing they did well in defense. Their defense was so bad. But they bring in Greg Brown, who has 40 years of experience, who I don't, everything that that I've been reading and hearing, it's not just like, hey, our defense is going to be good, but he's simplifying everything. And they brought in, you know, they do have two really good defensive ends now. Um, Watts is their best player at defensive end, and they bring in Sadiq from Central Michigan as the other bookend defensive end. And there's actually some talent compared to the output, like the output has been like UMass, UConn. There's more talent on this defense than they've shown. Only, I'm not calling this a good defense, but there's only one way to go up. And they they blew this thing up with all whole new staff. It cannot get any worse. There's some upside here with the Charlotte defense. Meanwhile, the Florida Atlantic offense should be pretty explosive. RPO attack. Brett Dearman is a new offense coordinator. They already run it. They already ran it. You know, he actually, Fred Dearman literally wrote the book on RPOs, but he, they were already running a lot of RPOs from, uh, with Nicosi Perry, brings back his top two receivers, top two backs, Johnny Ford, really explosive in the running and, and, and also out of the backfield in the re- receiving game. So their, their offense could be explosive, but inefficient. So I think that, I don't know, the, the simplified attack they face in RPO offense. In practice, they have all summer to prepare for this game. I think the Charlotte defense is going to get torched, but it'll be better than maybe some expect. Where I think Charlotte has a really big advantage in this game is on the other side of the ball. And Charlotte arguably has the best receiver group of any group of five team. With First of all, they bring back six-year starter at quarterback and Chris Reynolds, who has some pro aspirations. But their receiving core, Victor Tucker, former Blitnikoff finals in 2020. Grant Dubose, who's a Blitnikoff finalist this year, preseason semifinals. And Elijah Spencer, who was the freshman of the year in the conference last year. They have, you know, they return a lot of experience on the offensive line. Where there's is a pass-first offense. I think that they have a major, major advantage on the outside against this Florida Atlantic secondary that lost everybody except Young at safety. He's a good player, but they lost all of their corners. I mean, you're talking they're going to be starting three the three freshmen in the secondary. It's not a lot of size. Charlotte has big receivers and go up and get the ball. Last year, that was the strength of Florida Atlantic. Good secondary, a lot of turnovers for us, so there could be some regression. I think their corners are going to get torched here. And why is that going to happen? Who's the new defensive coordinator? For Florida Atlantic, I hated this move. Todd Orlando. What does Todd Orlando want, want to do? Just ask. You can ask Texas fans. You can ask US. He wants to he wants to blitz. He wants to leave his corners out on islands. A lot of people in Texas remember the game against Joe Burrow and LSU early in the year. Third and 17. I actually didn't disagree with that because you needed to also maybe get him out of field goal range. Third and 17 from the 43. Blitzes both safeties and Jamar Chase burns him. Game over with like three minutes to go. But his MO is, okay, we're going to stop the run and bring pressure on third downs and leave our corners out on islands, no matter where he goes, no matter what team he has. Well, Charlotte can't really run the ball. I don't really like the personnel fit up front for Orlando's system, but that's how he's going to play this. Charlotte, their receivers are going to have a field day here against this really young, short, inexperienced corner group against one of the best receiver rooms in the country. So I think that Charlotte's going to be able to move the ball at will against Florida Atlantic defense that was really lucky last year. And if you look at, you know, points per opportunity and 
the, the red zone, they would kind of bend and don't break. They would get a lot of turnovers. I, I don't see that happening with the secondary and the scheme. Give me Charlotte here. I'm taking the seven and a half. I'm glad that it went back up from seven. It's scary because their defense could just get absolutely gutted, but I'm trusting my read on this one. What are your thoughts here? Well, I think you made a case for me to take the over, which I did in the app right before we started uh, podcasting. Uh, you know, Nikosi Perry's coming back at quarterback. He's going to be protected. The offensive line returns 87% of their snaps. Perry had his best season last year. I mean, he still had those fumbles. He had 12 fumbles last year, uh, and he has a complete drop in efficiency when there's pressure, but the offensive line is experienced here. And if, you know, Florida Atlantic, to your point, I mean, they're flushed with defense names on defense that are from the transfer portal. So we don't know exactly what we're going to get. Now you flip over to the Charlotte side, right? Less than 57% of their pressures and their tackles come back. Nikosi Perry should be in a clean pocket. And in this game last year, they produced one sack on Nikosi Perry. I think this is going to be a score fest. Taggart's going to want to go really fast. Charlotte typically outside the top 100 in seconds per play. Uh, Florida Atlantic was 27th last year. So if you can get them sped up and keep going, then Charlotte's going to have to respond. I think it should be around 55, but I'm still taking the over on this because I think it's just going to be a score fest. Yeah, good chance you can get a backdoor here too from Charlotte. I think their offense could is going to have a lot of success the way that these two schemes kind of match up and how this game's going to play out. And they have massive advantages on the outside with their receivers who are really good against an extremely inexperienced group of corners. Wouldn't be shocked if Club Lit gets out with an upset. It's Will Healy, head coach of Charlotte. How much do you miss Club Lit? I am missing Club Lit a lot. Been working extremely hard on my dad bot. So look forward to being able to be back in there. A newly renovated Club Lit. All right, so we covered the exciting Northwestern offense that'll be out in Dublin. We came back stateside, headed out west to Logan to cover UConn and their four quarterbacks. We then, in the same time slot, went to the Midwest and covered the Wyoming-Illinois slugfest. Moved on to Club Lit, heading down to Boca for what should be a really exciting game, fun to watch. And now we're going to move on to another one that could be in that same mold, a conference game. Let's head down to UTEP. And again, it's sold out here. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. UTEP Minor Nation in their season and conference opener, taking on North Texas. Uh, I still think it's a pick over under sitting at uh, 54, 50, uh, 54, 54 and a half. Last year, these two teams met during the regular season. North Texas won 20 to 17 on a field goal as uh, time expired. I'll give you my quick take on this. I think that the North Texas defense, it started a big fan of the hire, Phil Bennett. They started to improve at the end of last year. They also started to play a little slower, leaning on that run game a lot more. UTEP liked some of their pieces on their defense, but these are two run first offenses. Clock should be moving here. I like the under, by the way, if you can tell where I'm going with this. The total when they played last year, you saw the game ended 20 to 17, was 55. I played 55 under 55 and a half this year. Uh, and I'll tell you why. And they, they played earlier in the season before you know you saw any improvement from the North Texas defense. If these two teams want to run, they're going to be inefficient quarterback play. Their turnover numbers are not good for Austin Ani and Hardison. You just hope the, ter- the turnovers aren't in our own territory. But when you look at this UTEP team, what have we always talked about? 
with, with their offense, right? It was all right, inefficient to start like early downs is running. And I, I think that's where North Texas will be okay defending the run. But they, they were all about explosives, right? The UTEP offense has always been about, you would always talk about, okay, look at the, that the success rate versus the explosiveness, right? And UTEP was always up there in explosiveness. And if you look at that game versus North Texas, that was exactly how it played out. Guess who went completely bananas for UTEP? Do you have a guess? Jacob Cowing. Yeah. He was everything to the UTEP passing attack and the explosiveness that they had. And now he's no longer there. And this, I could, I get this total of 55 and a half. I just don't think that the offense is going to be as explosive. I think North Texas wants to play fast, but they started to slow it down at the end of last year, relying more on their run game. I think their defense is a bit improved. UTEP does not want to play fast. So there's class clash of paces here. They play extremely slow. So want to lean on their run game and Cowing's no longer on the outside, which I think really sucks out that explosiveness. You usually don't have a guy like that at a program like UTEP. He was just so important. Just a guy you could just throw the ball up to and there's 80 yard touchdown, which is what happened in this game last year. So I like the under it's also early season conference game, tight play, conservative play calling early game should be competitive. Give me the under, especially if you can get 55 or above, which is obviously a key number. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, 100% agree. So I'll just be short. I mean, everybody needs to realize what UTEP was last year. Dana Dimble wants to run, 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 run. And then we got behind schedule. We're in a passing down. And guess what? UTEP was the number one team in the nation in explosiveness and passing downs. That was Gavin Hardison and Jacob Cowan getting behind everybody. Well, that combination isn't there anymore. So I expect a lot more punts out of UTEP this year. And with UNT, they're still top 10 in tempo, but they've kind of changed. They're 69% run now. Uh, And then on the defensive side, this team finished second in the nation in in pass rush. Uh, So the defensive line gets cleared out. That's gone. And now the secondary becomes the experience. So when you look at Gavin Hardison trying to throw for UTEP, he's throwing into a very experienced secondary for North Texas. I'm with you 100% here on the under. It's at 54 and a half. I think, you know, key at 55, key at 51. I think this is going to continue to go down. Another low scoring affair. Yep, I agree. All right, let's move on to the two late night games we have left. Nevada at New Mexico State. Nevada's down to a nine point favorite over under down to about 50. This game uh, is ugly. Nevada's kind of in the same boat as Wyoming, but even worse. They got absolutely crushed. In the transfer portal, their entire staff is gone. I mean, like 66 of the 110 guys in camp were not on the team last year. They only had six returning starters projected. One of them, all conference honors, guard got hurt. It's probably out for the year. Another safety hurt, not available for this game. Their only returning starters are their running back, which was the weakest part of their game, in Tala. That's it on offense. That is it. And this is a team, by the way, that has – we still don't know who their quarterback's going to be. And they want to run like RPOs, but they don't really have a mobile quarterback. You have an Oak State transfer and a guy a guy who's like 6'9". And on defense, they're starting like three or four or, former Oregon walk-on transfers. Your safety, he was one of your better players, is moving to nickel. I don't know why. It makes no sense to me. And then you're moving a corner to, to safety. So, like, really only have two guys back on the whole team that played – at their position last year, it's ugly in Nevada. They're going to be terrible. The market's been fading them across the board in every possible way. Week zero, week one, win total. And then New Mexico State, we still don't know who their quarterback is going to be. 
Jerry Kill comes in. Jerry Kill the clock. I love this under, by the way. I put under 55, which I thought was outrageous. I would still play under 50. I don't, I don't know. Nevada's offense is going to be terrible. Their defense is in better shape, at least, than their offense. New Mexico State is not going to light the scoreboard up. Here's the both teams I think are going to rely on their run game. Sort it's going to be a run, this clock's going to be moving throughout. And New Mexico State, I assume their quarterback is going to be this kid, Pavia. He won the national title, JUCO national title, like New Mexico Military Institute, I think. Running offense. I mean, I think a season high in passing or just 215. But he he smart with the ball. I think one interception and 215 pass attempts. So it's Jerry Kill. The defense has been way ahead of the offense. I think they brought in a couple of good transfers. They have a couple of really good linebackers transitioning to a new defensive scheme here. But from everything that I've heard in camp, the offense, the defense is way ahead of the offense, which makes sense. You got nine starters back and you bring in a couple of good transfers. So I think the New Mexico State defense will be able to hold its own against this, whatever this Nevada offense is going to be. Both offenses are going to be extremely run heavy. And by the way, that's New Mexico State's strength on their offense is their backfield, and they have a running quarterback, and that's what they're going to lean on. It's Jerry Kill. They're going to probably play really slow, shortened games this year, uh, lean on the, the TCU transfer, former four-star in the backfield. So, yeah, I think that this game is ugly, low-scoring. Wouldn't be shocked if New Mexico State won outright. I think they're close to getting a sellout here for their opener in the Jerry Kill era, uh, who's generally very conservative as well. So I think conservative coach, conservative quarterback won't make mistakes which is good here because you want this game to just like stay ugly and low scoring a lot of uncertainty with Nevada but uh, I think that they're not they're not gonna come out here and play fast and their receiving options are very limited I mean you lose star power all over so this is under for me this is New Mexico State I have really good numbers here I mean I have plus 11 and a half or plus 12 and a half and under 55 obviously we've crossed a bunch of key numbers I would still take the under I would still take New Mexico State for small. What are you you seeing here? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I've got 13, 12, and 11, and I stopped stopped buying at 11. Now we're at nine. I I think we've exhausted our feelings about Nevada over multiple podcasts in the preseason. That win total where we were hitting at five on the under, uh, I believe it's listed at three and a half in a lot of shops right now. Uh, I think everybody's finally caught on to what's going on here with the two deep having non-scholarship players. Scheme change on both sides of the ball. We're not going to be pass happy. We're not going to be run heavy. Jerry Kill's a really good coach. I don't think he's been fired. I think he's been, uh, he's only left jobs because of medical reasons, right? But, you know, if he's on the field, that's a huge coaching advantage. So I, I echo everything that you say. The one bit of advice, because if anybody's following all of us on the action app, you should have had this number a long time ago. If not, go ahead, hop in, get the nine. I'd play it for less. But if you don't have a piece of this, I guess the one piece of gambling advice that I can give you is that I don't think this number is going to sit at nine. And you're in a dead zone. So you can wait. <laughs> you're in a dead zone. There's no sense to wait. If you see this thing trail down to seven or seven and a half, there's going to be real money that would push it across seven. I would immediately pivot to week one and get in on Texas state. I think that's a number that's also gone from like six to four and a half. I think you'd want to lay some Texas state money line. I think you'd want to lay some Texas state above plus three uh, because this Nevada team may be worse than what we're expecting. Yeah. So, if they if they lose this game out, right, that number is going to yeah, yeah. it all be favored. So I, that's all I can say is like, if you see this number cross seven, go to week one and hit Texas state. Yep. 
yeah, and historically teams playing their first game against teams that have already played have actually had a lot of success in week one against yeah. teams that played in week zero. I'll have an article out about that on actionnetwork.com. Also check out my Mac manifesto. Yeah, we're in, we're in complete agreements here. Um, all right, let's move on to the final game of the night. The game that every degenerate in the country will bet, find a way to bet somehow. It's the first late night game. Vanderbilt at Hawaii, SEC team traveling out to the Big Island, up to an eight-point favorite. I think this game opened at a pick. Total is moving. I think it sits at, but I don't, I don't even know right now. It's moving while we're been recording. Fifty-three and a half <laughs> off to pull it up. Stop me if you've heard this before, but Hawaii lists three different quarterbacks as potential starters for Saturday. Joey Yellen, the pit transfer. Cannon Cooper was at Washington State before, uh, Braden Traeger, who was a, a backup here, all have kind of different skill sets. Timmy Chang has taken over. You're going to see the run and shoot. It'll be interesting to see. I, I think they might actually get a, a bunch of them might get reps, but we'll see. Hawaii gutted by the transfer portal. Obviously, all of that drama with Todd Graham. They had a Cordero, their quarterback left, their top running back, top receiver, defense, secondary, across the board, gutted. A complete rebuild here. Vanderbilt, meanwhile, went with Mike Wright as their starting quarterback, more of a mobile guy, and then a passer, prone to mistakes throwing the ball at times. It was very interesting what has happened to Ken Seals, who showed promise as a freshman. He's now listed at three on the depth chart. Their second-string quarterback is a uh, true freshman with a rocket arm. So if it'd be interesting to see what happens if like Wright is – struggling throwing the ball and they were like behind who are they going to bring in the true freshman and not seals it was very bizarre that seals is, is not even two on the depth chart anyway i digress anthony orgy one of vanderbilt's best players will play he was dealing with some ligaments ligament stuff but he practiced and he's good to go that's important he's one of four returning linebackers in college football with 90 tackles and 10 tackles for loss last year all SEC guy. He will play for Vandy. By the way, you're going to see this stat a million times if you're on Twitter and follow like any gambling accounts. Hawaii is 11 and one against the spread in its last 12 openers, 12 home openers. Here's the thing with those trends. By the way, I could counter that with a trend that Vanderbilt is the most successful against the spread team in the first half over the past 12 years for whatever that's worth in their first game of the season. But if you look back from Hawaii, one of the biggest myths in, in gambling that you always hear, like a casual recreational better says like bet Hawaii on the Island. But if you look over the, since 2010, now it would make sense kind of, it's like, Oh, you got to travel all the way out to Hawaii, but it's not how it played out. Now it all goes back to that kind of just makes sense in people's heads. Um, and I think I even overrate, like from a numbers perspective, the Hawaii home field advantage based on all their results. I mean, this is, this team since 2010 has been like 35% against the spread at home. It all goes back to 2010 on like the forums when they went undefeated against the spread at home. I think they were eight, seven and oh. And then everyone was just like the Hawaii game. You just bet Hawaii. It's free money late. It was just a weekly thing. And then it just caught on. And then it makes sense to people without even going and looking. But it's actually it's, you know, over the past 15 years been extremely overvalued in the market. So this Hawaii 11 and one against the spread in their home opener. I don't care about that unless there's a reasoning. Like you got to give me, you know, Correlation without causing like you have to give me a reason for it. Why, why would that be? I would think it would be less advantageous to be playing Hawaii because the team has time to prepare and travel and get out there. So without a reason, I don't care about a 12 game sample size. This line is you know out to eight. 
Is there going to be some buyback? I don't really don't know what you're going to get from Hawaii. Do I really trust Vandy to like to cover eight? I don't know. We'll see how much Tito's I have and if I can convince myself to get bet Hawaii at some point. I don't know. I don't have a strong take on this game. Thoughts? Yeah, I actually have a ton of thoughts on this game. At a very high level, this Hawaii offense is a cluster. So Timmy Chang goes and grabs uh, Ian Shoemaker as his offensive coordinator. Ian Shoemaker comes in from Eastern Washington, where they ran a very quick up-tempo RPO and scored a ton of points all the years that he was there. He left the program at Eastern Washington like two games before the season was over. Uh, claimed there was just, you know, some differences between him and I think the head coach. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But there's a philosophical difference between what Ch- Timmy Chang wants and what Ian Shoemaker wants. So Shoemaker wants to run the RPO from Eastern Washington. Chang wants to run the run and shoot, right? That's Hawaii football, run and shoot. But if you know anything about schematics, you can't run an RPO and a run and shoot. It just doesn't happen. But they're both saying there's a hybrid RPO run and shoot. I don't Someone's going to have to draw that on a board for me. I don't even know what that looks like. There's no such thing. The defense at least has a little bit of familiarity because Jacob Yoro has been with the program forever. He gets promoted up. Uh, he served various roles under Graham and Rolovich, so he gets moved up. But they don't have anything coming back. They got less than 30% of their pressures or tackles or passes defensed. So everything with this Hawaii team, offense and defense, it's not bettable. Like, it's not something you can trust. Now, I, the last thing I'll say about it is I'm glad we're going to see Dior Scott from Last Chance U. Uh, he, he was in Oakland in that last year that they were on Netflix. So it'll be good to see Dior Scott get some playing time after seeing him live in his car and work at Wingstop when he was on Last Chance U. But this is a Vanderbilt or nothing, and I would still play Vanderbilt at eight. Uh, I play Vanderbilt at six and a half. No one cares. That number's not there. I would still play it at eight. And the reason is, uh, well, there's a lot of things. I mean, in the trench, they should absolutely dominate Hawaii. There's a size difference. There's a skill level difference. There's a recruiting difference. You can point out a lot of warts on Vanderbilt. You look at some of the games they played last year. I, I think the scoring difference was like 149 to seven against Miss State, Georgia, and Florida last year. I mean, there there are some really, really bad numbers, and that came against an SEC schedule. It was Clark Lee's first year. He's trying to teach the 4-2-5. But go and look at that Colorado State game, right? That's what was that? Like game two for Vanderbilt? They didn't, they allowed just 21 points to a competent Mountain West offense, and they were able to control the trench and they were able to win that game. I know they lost East Tennessee the week before, but Clark- they lost the East Tennessee State 23 to 3 in their opener. I know that one. Clark Lee came out after that game and said, I don't care what the final score says. We're just going to play the way that we want to play. Right. So he's just like bullheaded in the fact that if it doesn't work, I'm going to keep pounding in my players to make sure they run this. All right. We're in year two. You, you also remember October 2nd at home uh, against UConn. They barely won that game 30 to 28 at home against UConn. Right. But against I don't know. You're, you're awful confident laying over a touchdown. I would not know. I'm, I'm confident in the fact that the players that are in the trenches for both Vanderbilt on, on offense and defense are better than what Hawaii has. And sure. Say, say, but say they were also against uh, UConn and East Tennessee State. Yeah. Okay. But that was like that Just was playing devil's advocate. That was new coach, new schemes, game one, game two, game three. Right. And then, you know, further on for the schedule. But, you know, listen, th- this is year two. There shouldn't be any communication issues between the quarterbacks and the offensive line, the players, and the schemes that they want to go. The defense should be much improved with a 4-2-5, uh, I, I mean, until we get to SEC play. 
right? And the reason why Wright's the quarterback is because what he could do with his legs. If Hawaii's able to generate any pressure whatsoever, which I don't think they'll be able to, Wright can take off and go wherever he wants. This Hawaii defense is just not going to force any takeaways whatsoever. I'm not worried about the travel. I'm not worried about the time difference. I'm not worried about the heat because it's actually hotter in Nashville over the last two months than it's been in Hawaii. And, you know, people are free. People cannot believe that the home field advantage piece that I put out every year, it's based upon against the spread, what you've done over a three and 10 year sample. And Hawaii's home field advantage is zero, zero. They are so overrated at home all the time. Like people just buy into this shit because they're on the island, but it's, they have no advantage whatsoever. So Hawaii can't figure out what they want to do on offense. They can't figure out a quarterback. They have no one coming back on the offensive line. They have no skill positions. And they have a disagreement between the offensive coordinator and the head coach about what kind of scheme they want to run. I think this is a huge, like, we don't know what we want to do for first, second quarter. In the action app, I put in an under 27. That number kind of trickled down to 26 and a half in a couple of books. Vanderbilt is, they're slow. They're methodical. I don't think they're going to be flashy and have explosive plays. But Hawaii, what, how are they going to score points? There may be some points come in at the end. Could get a little wonky, you know. But for me, this is Vanderbilt. I play it for less at eight. This is an under in the first half. You know, check the app for live betting because, you know, all of us want to get on this. But that that's where I'm at. I mean, there's just stuff. There's too much of a talent difference. I don't know. I might be against the world. I haven't seen anyone on Hawaii yet, um, which is surprising. We'll see. Maybe I'll be on an island, on the island with Hawaii. Sorry, <laughs> not, but it would be, be a guest game and just me thinking that the Vandy pulling a Vandy would be nothing big. All right. Great stuff going through all seven games. Before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. One sentence. Your favorite side as of right now on Saturday. I'll start. It's New Mexico State. Just fade, fade this Nevada team. Yeah. Nebraska. Not even I mean, for me. I think it's going to be a hammer. Favorite total. On Saturday, it's Nevada under has moved through key numbers. I still like it, but it's moved too much for me to say that's my favorite. So I'm going to go with the Utah North Texas under. I think it's a competitive game. Will be conservatively played, inefficient quarterback play, and that UTEP explosive offense, which is what they were last year, explosive passing offense, now doesn't have Cowan, who had 174 yards and a touchdown, 80 yard touchdown. In this matchup last year, in which North Texas won 20 to 17, that total was 55. This I got under 55 and a half without cowing. I think it will play slower. North Texas defense will continue to improve. And I like some of the pieces on the UTEP D. So I'll take that under. How about you? Yeah, instead of going for Nebraska Northwestern over, which I like, which I played, I have money on and I've got it in the app. Once it's released, I want Nebraska team total over. Scott Frost making comments that we're going to let it rip. Mark Whipple is the new offensive coordinator. They are absolutely going to attack a Northwestern secondary that lost a star player at safety and has corners that give up explosive plays. Because of what this Nebraska team has gone through over the last couple of years, because of athletic director Trev Alberts putting the pressure on this team, and because the Irish Times has taken personal shots at Whipple and Frost, they're not going to take their foot off the pedal here. And you know what? Casey Thompson's got a lot to prove, too. I like the Nebraska team total over better than I probably like anything else on the board. All right. And then third down, let's uh, get the people excited. And you didn't go, you went the whole podcast without mentioning them. You mentioned your high school days there. Let, let's get a, can we get a, uh, a good woo pig suey from you? Oh man. I got another week to practice. Woo! 
pig suey. There you go. How's that? Woo pig suey. There you go, Arkansas fans. Get excited next week for hopefully an Arkansas win between one and seven. I saw the money on Tootsie. We'll talk about that next week. We'll be back next week with a loaded episode to talk week one. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Leave a review, by the way. Producer Matt Mitchell, give up with you guys killed it with some reviews well here's some giveaways list off the people that should contact you all right you beautiful degenerates here are three winners for apple podcast reviews one is titled hoorah from joke of a game the other is a top tier pod from bob feet and the last is the best from user logan one two three four eight so joke of a game bob feet logan email me at podcasts at actionnetwork.com and we'll get you your prize good luck everybody it's a magical time of year appreciate all you listening those reviews really help us out if you've already left the review grab someone else's phone and do it girlfriends friends i don't care but appreciate you listening and uh we'll be back next week with the week one betting preview can't wait good luck this weekend enjoy the games we are back catch y'all later cheers peace out peace out